Hello and welcome to the Smarter Conversations podcast, where we'll be weaving together voices from the cotton supply chain. This podcast is brought to you by the US Cotton Trust Protocol. I'm your host, Kathy Smith. I'm an independent freelance journalist. This podcast series does exactly what the name implies. I'm going to be talking to some of the key movers and shakers in the global textile supply chain to dig into the world of cotton. Today's is the eighth episode in our series, and we're focusing on a very precious resource to all of us, and that is water. And we will be discussing the importance of water and how measurement and tracking can encourage better use of water in cotton growing with examples of innovative water management techniques from the field, of course. So joining me today, first of all, Dr. Jesse Daystar, who is Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer at Cotton Incorporated. Nice to see you, uh, Dr. Daystar. Can I call you Jesse? That'd be just fine. Thanks. Okay. Um, where are you? Hey, I'm in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a beautiful spring down here. Got lots of pollen, but it's uh, nice to have a conversation about water here today. I like to do a bit of armchair traveling by asking everybody where they are, because uh, I'm in Brussels in, in Belgium. But tell me, Cotton Incorporated, for those who don't know what it is, just in a, in a couple of lines, tell us what you do. Yeah, it's great. So we've been around for about 40 years, and our main goal is to improve the demand and profitability of cotton through research and promotion. And sustainability is a key part of that today. We have a creative full division, which I lead at Cotton Incorporated, focused solely on sustainability. That being said, sustainability has been a core part of our business since its inception. And we work a lot with the ag environmental research and R&D departments. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed. And also joining us, we're delighted to have with us Dr. Chris Johnson, who is the Interim Director of Agriculture for North America at the Nature Conservancy. And you're based in Minneapolis, I think, Chris. That's right, I am. Yeah, the land of uh, 10,000 lakes in Minnesota. So water is, is very important to me personally, as well as, of course, to the Nature Conservancy. And the Nature Conservancy, obviously, Lots of people know what it is. It's an NGO, of course, but just again in a line for anyone who doesn't know, um, tell us. Sure. Yeah. Well, the Nature Conservancy is is actually one of the largest conservation organizations in the world. Uh, we've been around for about seventy years. We operate in every state in the U.S. and we're working in more than seventy countries around the world. And you know, simply put, our mission is to conserve the lands and waters on which all life depends. And so we have nearly 4,000 staff, hundreds of whom are actually scientists. And so our conservation mission is very much guided by the best available kind of leading edge scientific information related to conservation of water and, and a whole range of other issues. Um, so that's our, yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> just, just tell me then, Chris, water, why is water so very important? And just give us a little bit more insight into the work that you're doing in terms of conserving water. Well, sure. So, I mean, water, you know, it's it's a little bit of a cliche, but it runs through everything, right? It's um, it's absolutely essential, of course, to human life. Um, cities all over the world rely on fresh water from, from rivers. They rely on groundwater for, you know, drinking water, for potable water. But then, of course, there are, you know, aquatic ecosystems uh, that we all enjoy, that we recreate in, that we fish in, that we swim in. And we have to have those ecosystems be healthy in order to support the lives and livelihoods of people, you know, as well as, as just through drinking water. Um, and so freshwater actually is uh, 
really just a tiny, tiny fraction of all the water on the planet is usable, available fresh water. And uh, a huge portion of human use of water is actually used for agriculture, for irrigation, which of course has to happen, right? We have to grow the food and the fiber and everything that we all rely on. But finding better and smarter ways to use water to grow the food and the fiber that we need is just a critical strategy moving forward to kind of, you know, steward our very, very precious limited freshwater resources more effectively. And you are actually working with the, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. I mean, that's why we're talking to you today. You tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, we're so as of about a year or so ago, uh, the Nature Conservancy, you know, joined the board of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. And we, we did that because, you know, in some initial conversations, as we learned about the protocol, as we learned about their efforts, we were really impressed with how comprehensive, um, how rigorous, how systematic some of the methods and some of the approaches that they were bringing to sustainability was. And we wanted to support that. We wanted to kind of add our expertise in conservation and biodiversity and freshwater resources and, you know, kind of help that effort be as successful and as effective as possible. We don't have any on the ground collaborations with them yet. So that's hopefully something that Jesse and I and his colleagues will be working on launching in the year to come. But um, but right now, we're really excited to kind of be part of that overall discussion. And Jesse, I mean, cotton production as such, people often associate it with excessive use of water. So is that actually the case? Where where do we stand now on water use? Yeah, so there, when you, when you go try to look this up, it's, it's no wonder that there's a lot of confusion around this. Not only is it a challenging topic to really understand there's water use, water consumption, water footprint, a lot of different ways to measure it. But also, when you go to the internet and just search certain things, there's a lot of old data or false data or data that really isn't representative of what's happening on the farm today. So it's really important that we, we look at this through the science and where we are, as well as where we're going. So if you take a step back and look at it at a global scale, uh, of all the agriculture water, cotton uses about 3% of that. And that corresponds relatively similarly with the amount of agriculture land we use, which is around 3% also. But then zooming a little bit further into the United States, uh, roughly 64% uh, of the cotton growers in the United States don't use irrigation at all. They really rely on rainfall. And that's part of the natural water cycle that we actually incorporate into, to, into cotton. And then beyond that, 31% uh, use some supplemental irrigation and five are fully irrigated. But it's important to remember that water is super helpful for the plant. When we use it, particularly in supplemental situations, it actually improves the, the yield. We get more cotton per acre and can actually lower the environmental impacts in other categories, such as greenhouse gas emissions. So it's really important to remember why we irrigate and why it's important. And then furthermore, in some places around the world, uh, cotton is actually a very drought tolerant crop. In some places around the world, there, there isn't really any other crops that can grow there. And what that really means is when there's periods of time where you don't have water to irrigate or it isn't raining, cotton can actually handle that pretty well and create a profitable crop where other crops may not be able to. They have to have irrigation at certain times. So cotton's unique in that way and really provides an economic opportunity and keeps the farms working in areas where there may not be any other options. So it's a really important crop in those more arid environments. I find it quite surprising when you say 60% of cotton grown in the US isn't irrigated. That's, that's a, a huge amount, actually. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's been the history that you know we rely on the water coming from the sky, and we're part of the natural water cycle. And it's important to not only make sure we capture that, but also use that responsibly and make sure that anything coming off the field is as clean as it can be. And one thing that's really kind of coming to the forefront now is how can we use soil health practices to get more water into the soil at using things like cover crops and reduced tillage that will actually kind of serve as a bigger battery for the water and help the plant grow more grow more from that and be more profitable and more sustainable. So really tap into storing more water in the ground through soil health practices. And Chris, where irrigation has to be used, how can we actually reduce that irrigation over time? I mean, you know, we talk about technology a lot on this, this podcast. I presume that that has to be one of the, the, the big factors here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're in an exciting time in agriculture when technology and innovation are, you know, are really exploding and moving forward very, very quickly. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, precision agriculture is, is sort of the term that they use. And that, you know, that encompasses a lot of different things, but it really means using, you know, kind of new technology, um, high resolution, you know, data on the farm that's interoperable across a lot of different platforms and a lot of different equipment. And, you know, basically allowing farmers to take advantage of data about weather, about soils, about yields, about nutrient application, and fine tune their management to be, you know, really, really precise day to day, week to week, but also place to place within fields about how they manage their operation. And I'll just give you a quick example. Some colleagues of mine uh, with the Nature Conservancy in Arkansas are running a project to help producers um, install and use irrigation timers. Um, and this is in this is in rice. This isn't in cotton. But um, this simple technology basically lets the farmers schedule irrigation based on kind of the real-time weather data and the soil moisture data in very specific locations and all kind of networked together, you know, this internet of things network with a, with a farm software system. And what they've seen, they, they've installed, I think, nearly 200 timers on about 16,000 acres in recent years. And, you know, the research suggests that this action alone, this system alone, may be saving as much as 4 billion gallons of water a year. And so, you know, there's just huge opportunities for us to be smarter and better with how we, we manage farm operations, not just with regard to water, but with regard to nutrient application, with regard to managing um, soil health practices, like Jesse mentioned, cover crops and things like that. So that's an incredible kind of opening up frontier in front of us. So you talk about opening up a frontier, but um, are many of the cotton growers um, receptive to this? I mean, when you can give statistics like that, then do they say, yeah, we want to get involved in this? Or are some just still a little bit kind of nervous of the whole te technological approach to farming? Well, I'll let Jesse speak, you know, more for cotton growers. But I think, you know, in general, um, Farmers are really open to this. Um, farmers are really comfortable and in increasingly using more and more technology anyway. And so this is this is happening. Um, there's always a trade-off. There's a cost. I think um, it's it's hard to try new things. Farmers are making a lot of decisions and managing a lot of different, you know, equipment and capital and um, loans and you know. So there's a lot going on, and so it's hard to to introduce a new system if someone's kind of comfortable 
with how they've managed their farm for the last few decades. But more and more, we're seeing, you know, I think a lot of receptivity. In many cases, farmers are way further advanced in this than, you know, that I am, for example, and, and are leading the way in bringing these data to use. Let me bring Jess uh, in on this, and you're nodding away. Um, tell me what's your take on this, because I know, for instance, the Cotton Trust Protocol has got its own goals for reduction of water. I mean, what are you seeing when you're talking to farmers or working with farmers? Yeah, so Chris made some great points there. Uh, technology is really key to making improvements on the farm, particularly around water. And there's so many tools at growers' disposal and, and for them to use, but it can be overwhelming, most certainly. But we're seeing cotton growers implementing many of these tools. And these tools uh, not only can help really improve sustainability metrics, you know, that certainly can be a goal, but when it comes down to it and their adoption as a, as a grower, it generally needs to also yield some kind of profitability component or some kind of improve their operations in a financial way. That really gets them using tools. And it turns out there is many um, different types of platforms out there that take in their yield information or how much cotton they make on this part of the farm, as well as how much inputs are putting on the ground and, and really make it so they can maximize their profitability and minimize their environmental footprint. Those are types of tools that are going to really be a cornerstone to our improvements into the future. That being said, it, it is a lot to understand. I know when I get a new iPhone, you know, or a new, new piece of technology, it takes a little time to get geared up towards it, but cotton growers are certainly doing that. And that is definitely one key part of, you mentioned the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, improving uh, or getting growers exposed to different technologies, ones that are certainly going to help them on their environmental footprint, but also perhaps even on their profitability. So speaking a little bit more towards the U.S. here and, and that perspective, uh, over the last uh, 35 years, U.S. cotton growers have actually improved their water use efficiency by 82%. And that's, that's quite a lot. And that's really largely driven through um, improvements in irrigation technology, such as uh, LEPA uh, irrigation systems that are really more efficient, as well as uh, improvement in seeds and just generally precision agriculture at large has allowed us to do this. But the U.S. cotton growers and the U.S. industry has not only said, hey, we've gotten a lot better, but we also plan to continue to get better again, through more implementation of these types of uh, technologies. So by 2025, they're, they're, the industry is aiming to have an 18% improvement in water use efficiency. So continue on that journey. So this is where the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol comes in to help. So we have these goals, and we're not just going to get there by doing nothing. So we have to you know, engage the grower, help them uh, understand their operations, understand their perhaps their water use efficiency, as well as other metrics to, to benchmark, to understand where they can make improvements. So as part of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, there is a component uh, that allows them to analyze their field to understand their efficiencies and the greenhouse gas emissions and how much water uh, they're using and how efficient they are. And that tool is called the Field Print Calculator from Field to Market, the Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture. And that's a really important component of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol because it allows the grower to actually see how efficient he or she is using that water. It allows them to compare against their neighbors, state and national averages. And, you know, 
growers are very competitive. They, they have to be by nature to stay in business. When they see they're using more water than perhaps their neighbor, first of all, you know, that's not being perhaps, uh, they, they can't, might be able to improve not only on the profitability, which is certainly something they want to do, but also on sustainability. So this gives them a new lens to look through, which we think is going to drive improvement and accelerate continual improvement. And that is interesting you say about the the competitiveness between growers. This is something that's come out again, I think, in, in um, other conversations we've had. And then, so when we talk about amount of water that's being used, I mean, we're not, it's not just about that, is it, Chris? Because obviously it's also, talk, we're talking about water quality, which is really key. And I think that's a lot of the work you're doing, the Nature Conservancy, is talking about water quality. Yeah, very much so. And I think... Um... The great thing is that water volume, water quantity, and water quality often can go hand in hand. And um, But you're right. I mean, where I live in Minnesota, and certainly in a lot of sort of the upper U.S. Uh, Midwest agriculture, corn and soy belt, water quality in, in a lot of these rain-fed areas that get ample rain, water quality tends to be kind of a more you know top of mind concern for growers and communities than water quantity does. And in particular, uh, you know, um, excess and mistimed application of nutrients, you know, the plant can't always take up the nitrogen if it's not applied at the right time and in the right place and in the right amount. And that can lead to, you know, nitrates lost to, to groundwater, to surface water and impacts to health as well as impacts to the ecosystem all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah, water quality is a huge thing, but if we can implement some of these practices that, that Jesse mentioned, um, you know, for example, uh, cover crops and reduced tillage, conservation tillage, things like that, that can actually build soil organic matter. It can kind of build what we call soil health, which can actually improve and enhance the water holding capacity of soils, which can sort of slow the loss of that water and, and in some cases nutrients to adjacent you know, surface waters, groundwaters, but it also actually makes the soil a better sponge and a better growing environment for that crop. And so if you get to a period of, of rain scarcity, of drought stress, those soils with, with more organic matter, with higher soil health actually provide a better growing environment and more resilience for the crop. Um, there, there's one other just quick thing I wanna mention because I think it, it relates to the technology conversation that we just had, and it also relates to sort of this water quality piece. And that's that another way in which we can use technology, and we're increasingly you know, seeing farmers take advantage of this, is to use that high-resolution information about where they're making money, where lands are maybe a little bit lower productivity, to actually cite agriculture more effectively. Because what we see is as you look across farm fields, just about everybody has got that spot in their field where it's ponding in the spring or it dries out too quickly in the summer or it's shaded by the trees nearby or for whatever reason, they just don't get the yields there that they get in the rest of their field. And as we can use precision information to highlight these places at the edges of the field, we can find that it's actually more profitable for the producer to take those lands out of production and to put them in some kind of conservation use, maybe a wetland or a buffer or something, that actually will help with water quality. It helps with the recharge of the water, you know, to the groundwater, and it actually can improve the profitability on the farm because they're not investing all these inputs and labor and time plowing something and harvesting something where the yields are just not what they should be. So I think citing agriculture and using that high resolution data is really, really helpful for kind of that approach to 
you know, what we call kind of precision conservation. But is that not a, a bit of a hard sell to, to, to talk to growers and say this land would do better to be taken out of production? It can be. It's definitely a different mentality. But I think, again, if you actually, you know, are working with a farmer who's using data and they see that high resolution, you know, profitability map of their farm field and year over year, there's some little red blob in the corner where they're just losing money that stands out to them. And in many cases, those parts of the field here in the U.S., we have uh, you know, federal farm bill programs that farmers can often access to enroll lands in conservation reserve easements. And so they can actually still get, in some cases, you know, a cost share payment. So they might actually be more profitable conserving that land, stop trying to produce there, and it has a better outcome for water and for conservation as well. And Jesse, in terms of the, of the protocol itself, um, if we're talking about water quality, how can being involved with the protocol help uh, farmers and growers to, to really improve water quality? Yeah, so uh, there's certainly is numerous ways which the protocol helps bring the attention to, to this issue. Uh, again, I mentioned earlier the field print calculator and that assessment of on the farm. Well, that can certainly help identify areas perhaps where you're losing a lot of soil. And to, back to what Chris was saying, you know, maybe it's better to really critically look at those areas or what's driving these overall losses and do something different with the land. So circling back to that a little bit, uh, we actually have a, a project from Cotton Incorporated with Pheasants and Quail Forever in Georgia, where we're actually working with producers to have that conversation of, you know, is this area really making money or are you losing money? And as such, uh, we actually have a person, Chaz Holt, who's working with them. Uh, can we enroll the producer in uh, other other programs that get them some resources, perhaps, to convert that to uh, biodiverse areas that actually help with pollinators and birds and create habitats? So it really is linked to doing, uh, to you know, all these indicators. They're, they're really all together a lot of times. That They're linked when you improve one, you impact the other. So it's really important to think about it in that context. But zooming back over to the protocol, uh, so the field print calculator is very critical in understanding your operations and the interventions and methods which we can improve. There's also a uh, checklist of best practices that the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol has, and, and many of those best practices are going to uh, really improve the, the not only the soil and other environmental indicators, but really the water. So as we see uh, buffer strips around the, around the field, that can really have a good impact uh, on improving water and filtering out any sediment or any, anything coming off the farm, as well as the cover crops and keeping roots in the ground and improving soil structure. Those things, always having something in the field is going to really help keep the nutrients and keep things in place which is really critical to improving uh, the water quality in surrounding areas. So the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol has these best practices, provides the grower with tools to analyze their operations. And into the future, we're exploring new opportunities where we can work with other entities and, and even through the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol and Cotton Incorporated, educate around these key topics that are going to drive improvements in the environment. When you say educate, I mean, does that involve... Do you think that, that farmers need to, to meet with experts, talk to experts, have people on the farm, or, or is that not necessary? Yeah, so it's, it's a really good conversation to have, is how do, we, 
how do we work with growers around these topics? Is it a, is it a PhD coming to talk to them? Maybe sometimes, but a lot of times it's grower to grower conversations that really have more impact. It, it means so much when, when a producer can say, hey, this is what I did on my farm. Here are pictures. This is why it works for me. It helped me in profitability. It helped me keep more nutrients in the soil, which is actually really good for that that pocketbook. So, you know, it means a lot more. They speak the same language and there's some trust there because their skin is in the game. Mine isn't. So those grower to grower relationships and conversations are really critical to foster and bring growers together to do these types of uh, learnings and, and transferring it and trying new things. So uh, we really see that as a key component as moving forward. So this is water on the farm hugely important but what about elsewhere in the cotton supply chain also very very important chris this is something i think that your organization the nature conservancy is working in is it what point in the in the in the production supply chain is water use most wor worrisome if you like in the world of producing cotton Right. Well, it's it's a great point, and it really varies from from company to company, from product to product, from uh, production region to production region. You know, I think um, cotton grown, you know, in the U.S. in a lot of those rain-fed farms that Jesse was talking about has a really different water footprint than cotton grown in irrigated places elsewhere around the world. So, what we typically do with a lot of companies, um, not just in the the textile and cotton industry, but, but actually more broadly across the sort of food and agricultural sector writ large, is we work with a whole range of different companies in a lot of different supply chains who are at kind of different points along that sustainability journey. You know, some companies are fairly new and still need a little bit of, of sort of help and guidance in just sort of understanding their the full spectrum of impact and implications of their, their supply chain. Where, where, where are those impacts the greatest? Where can they have interventions that, that have the greatest outcomes? And then we work with other companies who are actually pretty smart and pretty advanced. They've already invested in developing baselines of their water footprint or of their greenhouse gas emissions footprint. And what we can do then is offer some guidance on how they can in, undertake kind of specific practices in different points of that supply chain, from the farm field to the production facility, to the transportation, to the post-processing, and uh, and find kind of a lots of, of, of sort of, you know, a silver buckshot approach to improving water use efficiency, greenhouse gas efficiency, uh, greenhouse gas emissions reductions at sort of many, many different points along the supply chain to kind of overall create products that that have a much lower environmental footprint. So it really varies, but I think you're totally right that, you know, to do this well, these sectors, these supply chains, these companies, they have to take a really kind of whole system supply chain look at their product. What I'm very interested in reading about is uh, the, the studies that you've been doing, Jesse, which is looking at cotton microfiber shedding, because this is something that has been so much publicity about uh, the microfibers uh, when we're actually washing our clothes uh, and the impact that this has on water quality. So what have you found out then about what happens when we wash our cotton clothes? Yeah, so the, we brought up a really interesting emerging area of science that we're highly engaged in. Whenever we wear and wash and even produce our clothing, little pieces of fibers come off of our clothing. And if it happens to be plastic, well, those pieces of plastic actually get into the world, into our lungs, into our food, and they don't biodegrade once they're out in the environment. They're essentially pollution. Uh, 
So we've actually done a lot of research with North Carolina State University to better understand how both co how cotton will biodegrade in certain environments. And we wanted to know if polyester would as well. Well, it turns out that we've shown that cotton will biodegrade in wastewater treatment facilities. So when you wash and dry your clothing, if that water makes its way to you know, municipal uh, wastewater treatment, cotton's gonna biodegrade uh, very, very rapidly where polyester actually is persistent. And then we also looked at freshwater. So if it makes its way into the freshwater systems, will it degrade there? Well, it turns out uh, polyester does not degrade at any significant rate. Cotton biodegrades further. And then even in salt water, we've shown again that cotton biodegrades and polyester does not. So when we look at it holistically, it, it, cotton is a natural plant fiber that is biocompatible. It, it's based upon growing through photosynthesis, taking carbon out of the air. And at the end of life, after it's say done, we can even compost that and that carbon will cycle back. So it's designed to exist in our ecosystem uh, as, as a plant where polyester is not designed that way. It comes from oil and will persist into the environment. And we're looking at it uh, more holistically, and we're getting better data about how much plastic we actually eat as humans, some of which comes from microfibers. For example, a recent study found that we almost, we eat up to a credit card of plastic every week. Oh my goodness. Which is quite astounding. So this is an issue that I think is, we're getting more information on and we'll have better understandings. And we really need to zoom out when we think about sustainability and our fiber choices and really consider you know, do we want to contribute to this plastic pollution issue or use a biodegradable option, which is cotton? I'm wearing cotton today. I'm very pleased to say <laughs> that was, I think, by chance. So just to wrap up then, gentlemen, just uh, in 30 seconds each, maybe. But I mean, if you're looking to the future in terms of water use, going back to what we've been talking about for the bulk of this podcast, um, do you really think that that big headway is being made in reducing water use and improving the water quality on the farm. What would you say, Chris? In the, I mean, obviously yeah. we're talking the U.S. Yeah, no, I mean, in 30 seconds, I would say, yes, absolutely. You know, agricultural production and processing has come a long way in recent decades. We've made tremendous progress, but we have to do a lot more. Um, you know, we know that that we grow a lot of important products in water scarce, water stressed regions. And in those places in particular, we have to be really, really careful and good stewards of our water resources or, you know, it'll hurt the environment and it'll hurt people as well. So we have to keep pushing forward. And it is, it's really important to do that work at facilities that you asked about and that Jesse talked about. The harder lift is going to be to achieve change across you know, millions and tens of millions of acres of agricultural land that are sort of owned and operated by individual producers. That's just many, many more touch points that we have to somehow effectively engage with. And that's the, you know, the, the footprint that um, we have to continue to, to reduce um, and just become more efficient and more sustainable as time moves forward. Thank you. And Jesse, what would your final thoughts be? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think, you know, through time, we have made a lot of progress. And I think it is really important to recognize that and and also the U.S. cotton industry particularly has, we, you know, there's sustainability goals and, and targets, and we're we're working towards that. But the the creation of U.S. cotton trust protocols really demonstrates the seriousness and, and the rigor for which we're coming at this. This is something that we feel very strongly about to, to improve the environment, water, but all the other 
indicators as well. And we've put significant resources to really increase and accelerate our continual improvement. This is something that is key, we see as key to the, the long-term viability of the cotton industry. So we really wanna make sure that we address sustainability, um, improve our metrics and communicate around these metrics like we never have before. So I think that the fact that the US Cotton Trust Protocol even exists shows how serious this is to our core business and really where we're going to go with this. Great. Well, thank you both very much indeed. Really interesting indeed. Uh, so thank you to Dr. Chris Johnson from The Nature Conservancy and Dr. Jesse Daystar from Cotton Incorporated. Thank you both. So a lot of thoughts there on how important water is and how U.S. cotton growers have already made big strides to reduce water use. And clearly it is a continuous process as we're hearing. So that's it for this edition of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol's Smarter Conversations podcast. You can learn more about the Trust Protocol at trustuscotton.org. Join us next time when we'll be talking with two growers from Mississippi and Louisiana to discuss how a more sustainable cotton production can help biodiversity, including through regenerative agricultural practices. So I hope you can join us then. For now, it's goodbye. <laughs>